welcome to the Ham and High podcast. My name's Andre Longlow, and my guest this week is writer, comedian, bibliophile, scientist foil, and creator of this April's biggest Christmas celebration, Robin Ince. Familiar these days to a wide audience through the Infinite Monkey Cage with Professor Brian Cox, Robin also has lots of other projects on the go, from stage and radio shows to a new book in the works. The comedy, music, science and arts show Nine Lessons and Carols for Curious People was postponed due to Covid, but is coming to King's Place in April. So Robin Inns, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, you're here, we're going to talk specifically for a bit about, let me get this right, Nine Lessons and Carols for Curious People. Now, I pretty sure and no, I'm very sure I saw one of these shows in the Bloomsbury Theatre mm. around 10 years ago it might have been the second year and obviously it was quite a, a, a new idea do you want to just for the listeners give an overview of what it is yeah well I mean basically I think it's 14 years ago now 14 or 15 years ago that we started doing it and and the th- it initially came about this was during that time where there was what you might call the atheist boom with Richard Dawkins and Dan Dennett and and, and Christopher Hitchens and all that lot and I happened to be on an ITV late night panel show that um, I had been told was going to be a discussion of secularism but then when I got there the subject was actually called who's taking the Christ out of Christmas and it was awful and there was some really wretched people on it and um, and I kept getting this guy from an organization called Christian Voice who went yeah want to ban Christmas and I kept saying no I don't want to ban Christmas I have no interest in banning Christmas I think Christmas is great I mean you want to ban so it didn't matter what I said he had this and I got so bored of all of that thing you know this this image that the atheist was some kind of Scrooge figure that I thought well what I'll put on this Christmas is a really celebratory show and I'll call it Nine Lessons and Carols for Godless People, which is what the original title it had. And uh, and so I just got, you know, lots of people on. A, I mean, that, that first one we had. In fact, we ended up at one. We had Jarvis Cocker on one night. Richard Dawkins was on and my mate Joanna Neary and all manner of people. Um, and it just was people really liked that idea because there were some people who were atheists who said that, you know, one of the things they missed was different forms of celebration. Just this idea of having a celebratory night. Um, so that was kind of the starting point. And then it just got bigger and bigger. And we would, you know, sometimes do 12 nights over Christmas. And um, and then I took a bit of a break. And when I came back, I decided that, you know, the reason it was called Nine Lesser Cows for Godless People was very much from an event that happened in 2007. And I wouldn't want to feel that people were excluded because they have religion, because many, there's lots of religious people I know have no problem with the Big Bang Theory, have no problem with the theory of evolution, all of these things. Um, in fact, the biggest problem they have often is with God. You know, that, that's where their doubt is really wrestling, interestingly. Um, and that, inc- that includes members of the General Synod that I know. And, um, and so I thought, let's call it Nine Lesser Carols for Curious People, just because we used to get people turning up in, by mistake. I remember one of the first shows we did, someone had bought on eBay some tickets for Nine Lessons and Carols and not read the final line. And they turned up and they were religious. And then I got a letter from them a week later saying, we bought the tickets by mistake. And then we were like, oh, no, this will be awful. But we'll go and watch the first half. And then we had a great time. We stayed for the second half. And it wasn't all about atheism. And it wasn't. It was a celebratory night of kind of scientific ideas and curiosity. So, yeah, so that's really. And, 
and it was just this idea that I, I love the idea. Also, this was very much at the time where I was really playing with different ideas of how you can get people who don't know that they're into science into science. And if you put on someone like, you know, Jarvis Cocker uh, or, or, or Billy Bragg or whoever it may be, or Joe Brand, and then you sneak in a theoretical physicist just when they're least expecting it they leave and go oh it's really good actually i didn't think i was into science so so it was also you know this was before i started doing things like infinite monkey cage with brian cox well that's that's the thing isn't it times have changed a bit and i mean even though that at the early show i saw i'm pretty sure it was the second year so that's probably 13 years ago now it was really celebratory and it was fun um and there was music and and all that but there was science in amongst it but it was set in a time when there was that you know, Richard Dawkins had released his huge book, Daniel Dennett had followed. So there was a, a kind of slight atmosphere of of us against themness, which in yeah. a way the show tried to dispel at the same time because it said, no, no, we're just having fun and being silly here. And that was the nice thing. Um, but then I suppose since then, with your, your work with Brian Cox, things have, have changed as well. Do, do you find the audience is more receptive these days to some of the people you have on? You know what? They were receptive right from the beginning. I was quite lucky. It was, you know, there was sometimes it was what you realize is there's an enormous number of people who are really curious and want to know lots of different and, and are not particularly well served by a lot of the mainstream media. You know, the, the, there's a presumption in a lot of the mainstream media that if you make a documentary about a big idea every five minutes, you have to go, as we found out five minutes ago, this perpetual regurgitation, even though we've never found it easier to stop a show, pause it, go back because we don't need all of this repeated so people end up feeling patronized and um and so i think right from the start there were people i mean the very very first night the guy who peter my friend who, who ran the bloomsbury theater at the time he went i have never had so many people with professor before their name coming to pick up tickets and the first <laughs> night was quite a lot of quite elderly people going well of course i knew bertrand russell this was a lot of fun and then the second night was where the much younger audience started turning up and now that's the great thing is we will get people who come along with you know there'll be a 90 year old great grandmother and you've got then three generations of, of, of family after that that come along and um so I think and also I mean one of the things is the battle of course is not over but the battle ended up being a very different battle because when I think back to 15 years ago 14 15 years ago things like creationism and intelligent design being taught in school seemed like a big issue and it still is. I mean, I still think that's an issue, as indeed things like we're seeing last week, you know, but, uh, an author that was then removed from doing a speech at a Roman Catholic school because uh, he was it was going to be about LGBT stuff. And I think he was a gay author as well. You know, th these things are still issues. But I think what we hadn't realised was that the kind of arguments that intelligent design proponents had would go mainstream. And we would now see in mainstream politics, whether it's in the UK or the US, we see people uh, using all of the kind of sophistry techniques that we thought were just for outlying pseudoscience so in in many ways it's become even more important to to tackle these issues because it's in mainstream politics and that's even before and let's not get into it that's even before trump showed yeah yeah, yeah. On the was, it's just grown and grown and grown this misinformation the speed of misinformation has never been able to move so fast it's interesting what you said about the um never seen so many professors in the Bloomsbury Theatre. The Bloomsbury Theatre, of course, is part of UCL. It's literally in the middle of a university. And yet all the academics were turning up to that, which is which is great. Yeah, um, that was wonderful. This year's is, um, so it's happening in April on the, uh, I think it's the 16th and 17th. Yeah, it's, it's Easter Saturday and Easter Sunday, I think. 
Yeah, fantastic. You didn't think of renaming it for that? Well, I had thought about it and uh, unfortunately other people argued against, but it was basically because we were going to be doing that. We did a couple of them before Christmas and then with the COVID spike, just there was a level of uncertainty and I felt it was the responsible thing just in case to not, you know, in fact, Brian Cox and I, we did, we did a night at the Albert Hall that week. And then the next night I looked at the stats and I was like, let's just not draw people out in this kind of situation. And so, so, I mean, I'm hoping because Stuart Lee has sometimes turned up and does this wonderful grumpy father Christmas character explaining why Brexit means why Britain won't have any presence this year. And a lot of people never realise it's Stuart because he's got, you know, big, you know, the big kind of, you know, Santa Claus thing on his head and he's talking a slightly more kind of, you know, gravelly old voice. And uh, and so I was hoping if he was available that he'd be the Easter Bunny, but I don't think he is going to be the grumpy Easter Bunny, sadly. But um, yeah, I, I, I had, I mean, I, I did ask people, do you want us to make it really Christmassy? Just for fun. They went, no. I went, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so somewhere in between. And I guess taking an Easter theme is a bit more tricky taste-wise, possibly. So, oh, so I think we can find a way. <laughs> um, so if if, uh, if Stuart Lee's a maybe, let's put it that way, What else? who else can we expect? Oh, I should find out, shouldn't I? Let me have a look on the internet because I haven't got a clue. <laughs> I literally, I, I, I've not, my, my mate Trent has done most of the booking for this one. Um, I know we've got physicists. I know we've got chemists. I know we've got... Uh, um, I should have checked, shouldn't I? I should. I wonder what it says on the website. Let me have a little look. Well, maybe while you're doing that, I'll, I'll give you a wish list. I think Nick Cave would be good. Oh, I know. Uh, do you know what? I've asked Nick Cave's people. I've gone through that before. Always want to get Nick Cave. Um, I know we've got Gecko, who's a wonderful uh, singer-songwriter. Um, let me see if I hope they've put the listings up on... Uh... Oh, there we go. Let's see. Who have we got then? Let me tell you who is on. Uh, well, obviously, my friend Helen Chersky will be turning up. Uh, we always have Helen Chersky on. She is, uh, and I do lots of stuff with her. Uh, and the other performers are, so it's me, Natalie Haynes, uh, Jim Bob, who is brilliant. I've saw people know Jim Bob as an author and also uh, Jim Bob as in Craft the Unstoppable Sex Machine. Uh, Beck Hill, uh, a brilliant animator. Uh, Dr. Nara Chamberlain, Steve Mould, Ginny Smith. She's great. Bobby Seagull. Uh, John Butterworth, Charlie George, uh, Femi and Marco, Hugh Warwick, who's a brilliant um, hedgehog expert among, amongst many uh, other things as well. Dr. Susie Gage, Ben Moore. Uh, yeah, so that's that's all on the Saturday. Uh, and there's loads of others as well. Uh, Linda Cremonisi, who is uh, a fantastic, really great scientist in terms of what Deborah Francis Wright, Wright from the Guilty Feminists on the next night. Lucy Green, Miranda Lowe, uh, Matt Parker, the mathematician, Chris Lintop from the Sky at Night. Uh, uh, Rory Joseph, Joanna Neary. Oh, yeah, we've got loads of stuff. It's busy. Yeah, there's quite a lot going on. You're lucky. Somebody else has done the booking. There's some really good names. We had Charlie George on uh, on an event for this podcast. She's absolutely brilliant. And um, Natalie Haynes has done it a few times before. Hasn't yeah, she? well, I mean, I've known Natalie since I think she was I think she was almost a teenager because the first gig I did was when she was with her was when she was still a student in Cambridge. And so we've known each other for such a long time now. And it's uh, and it's a wonderful thing to see that her stand up classics is just its effect on people. You know, I love the fact that 
things like Infinite Monkey Cage and these shows have, have really, you know, lured some people back into science. But in the same way, what Natalie's done in terms of making people excited by the classics. And again, like, you know, this, I always love the fact we get 10, 11, 12 year olds. I know there's loads of 10, 11, 12 year olds who listen to, to Natalie. And, uh, and that's why they get into the classics. That's brilliant. I um, When I was at university, I studied philosophy at UCL um, and then at King's. And I, I think we could really do somebody doing this job on, on philosophy. I know there is philosophy. In some oh, I really, do you know what? We've talked about this and it is going to happen one day. Definitely. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a conversation I've had with Julian Virginia and others on, okay. on numerous occasions. And, and one day we will do a philosophy one. I did do a, I went and did a philosophy event down at the University of Kent, which was a lot of fun. And, but it was about philosophy and stand up comedy. And it was so typically philosophical. I went to see every single one of the lectures as well as doing my own kind of thing. And people would talk brilliantly and philosophically about the nature of stand up comedy. And then I put my hand up and go, so how would that work practically if I'm doing a gig? Ah, ah, we haven't quite dealt with that yet. So it's a little bit like, you know, the, the old story of the, is it the physicist who, uh, when they're trying to work out how many cows to put in the field and, the, and starts by saying, let us first imagine that the cow is spherical. And uh, I think this is a kind of similar issue. It's the, yeah, no, exactly. And in fact, every scientist who's ever gone, well, but in practice. Yeah. That, yeah. And so um, what else for you is going on at the moment? It's been book tours for yeah i've been there so i've just finished writing a new book um which was one of those things it's the fastest i've ever written a book i, I, I wrote a hundred thousand words in a month and uh, and i've now been spending the time trying to make it the actual length the publisher wanted which was considerably shorter it the one thing i can promise for my next book that's coming out is it will be the shortest book that i've written that's all i can promise so far i've written a book called bibliomaniac which is kind of partly well it, it's partly based on my hundred bookshop tour about just my love of books and and it allows me to go off on lots of tangents inside the book about different books that I love and why I love them and the kind of the joy of of what you get from books and the way it can increase your empathy and many different things and then I've been doing warm-up shows with Brian Cox because we've got a new tour Horizons uh, which starts off in the US uh, next month and then we do a UK tour and then we go to Australia and New Zealand and uh, and we're also doing a new series of the Infinite Monkey Cage so we just started recording that as well so so, uh, and a new series of book shambles. I've been reasonably, it's all right. I've kept myself yeah. busy. Ticking along. I think the um, thing is, I have to do too much. I find it really today. I'm really battling because I'm writing a two parter show for Radio 4 about reality. And I find stand up is very hard for me to write. I do stand up almost entirely by going to do live gigs. I make little notes, but I've spent three days procrastinating wildly. Because, you know, just that sudden moment when you go, ah, oh, I really must get down to writing the, uh, the, my, my stand-up show. But what is the best version of Cat Stevens' first cut? Is the deepest. I better deal with that first. I know it's not. Let's listen to David Essex's version. Though I'm certain that's not the best. Right, okay, that's not the best. You know, and that, that's what I've been doing for, uh, but I'm trying to work out how to write a, a show about reality. Well, we're getting on for four o'clock now. I reckon you can probably knock off another 20,000 words today if you get your head down. And it's my favourite thing. It's one of the things that I found fascinating during lockdown was I quite often got headaches. And then I found as long as I created something, the headache would go. Like Literally, it, it feels like a very physical thing. If I can't, if I've got lots of ideas and they're all just caged in my attic, it eventually just creates a pressure headache. But as long as there's some kind of podcast that I can make or live show or just, you know, write a book, whatever it is. So uh, 
I apologise for all of those who've had to suffer the podcasts and the books. They are a medical necessity for me. Not at all. Keep them coming. Um, and everybody should go to the uh, Nine Carols show. And, well, Merry Christmas. Yeah, it's, I think we will do it. There will definitely be some Christmassy things. We can't resist it. And it's such a great venue. Thank you so much. So thank you so much to Robin for speaking to me. If you enjoyed the podcast, hit subscribe and we'll be back soon.